The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Jesus is not running. Y'all know Jesus ain't running. So you're always trying to choose the lesser of two evils, right? You're always doing that. And it made me say I shouldn't pick on party or politician, but I should always pick on policies and principles, which made me go read my word. And so I realized, y'all know uh, God's pro-life, all right? God, God's pro-life. Uh, you were born in his image. You were born to him. He's got a purpose for your life. I believe he's traditional marriage. You know, one man, one woman, biblical marriage, uh, religious liberty, freedom of expression, freedom of rights of conscience, uh, defense of Israel. Those were things that I stood on. I, you know, I told the first service, I have never voted for somebody who voted to abort a baby. Right? Amen? Uh, you, you can't do that. If somebody will vote to abort a baby, I've been away from them. I've never voted. I don't care what part they're from. I wouldn't vote for that person. I write in Mickey Mouse. I've taught my wife and my kids. Write in Mickey Mouse. If somebody's going to vote to kill a baby, because if they don't care about the life of unborn, pre-born baby in its mother's womb, they don't care about you. They don't care about liberty and nothing else anyway. So here I am. I'm studying all this. I'm, I'm out working in politics, just volunteering. I actually got so motivated that I, read, I wrote a book called Freedom Tide that was all about Christians being salt and light in the world. We got to get up off our couch and go out and impress on the, light, the hearts and lives of people that God's in everything all the time. It also made me appreciate his role in America. So I am, I'm reading, I'm studying, I meet a mentor of mine named Charlie Tremendous Jones. Charlie, I said, Charlie, I, I feel led to write a book, but I went to Clemson, I don't know any big words. How do I write a book? He said, well, take one of your talks, have Michelle turn in, take out all your South kind of slang, your ain'ts and everything else, turn into a book. So I write a book called Freedom Tide in 2002. And at the same time, a friend of mine had run for lieutenant governor in South Carolina, and he won, and it left my state senate seat open. So all my friends are like, Chad, you, you got to run for state senate. Man, I, I ain't got to run for state senate. I just printed 10,000 books. God don't want me to run for state senate. He wouldn't have me print it. You ever seen 10,000 books stacked this big? And so I sold my books. I had to print more. I gave away all the profit trying to promote it. Michelle and I made a decision. We're not doing any debt. We printed 25,000 books the next time. You ever seen a book of 25,000 stack of them? So my friend's like, Chad, you got to run for state senate. It's a special election. It's a short run. You talk about being involved. Practice what you preach, big boy. You say you don't at least pray about it. I said, man, I'm, i got to sell books. i got two little boys. By this time, they're used to things like food and shelter. And uh, I, I can't. I gotta, it'll hurt my speaking career to run for, run for state senate. Well, but you say you're going to pray about it. I got convicted. So I go to prayer. Now, me and Gideon got tight in these days. Y'all know Gideon. Gideon throws out two fleeces. I went with three. So it's a special election. The election was going to be in early February. This, you had to file. You know, you got to go in and pay your filing paperwork. I had to file by Monday, which was December 1st. And, and the election was like early February. So I said, okay, Lord, I just printed these 25,000 books. I already know you do not want me to run for state senate. How many of y'all have ever argued with God? How many of y'all, I hate to admit it, but I have. I'm, I just, me and him had this tussle. So Lord, I already, and how many of y'all are convinced you know exactly what he's got for you? So here I am, right? I know you don't mean in front of state senate, Lord. I just printed these books. It's just, I'm going to go through this process. So Lord, I tell you what, if you'll give me three speaking engagements between December 1st and January 31st, Lord, I'll know it's you and I'll run for state senate. Y'all, y'all done this too. Y'all built a wall God can't get over. Now, here's what I knew. I was very comfortable because it's Christmas time. Nobody hires speakers at Christmas time. So I'm, I'm good. But Lord, just so I'm sure, if you'll let there be at least 1,000 people at each speaking engagement, then Lord, I'll know it's you. There's fleece number two. By the, by the way, at this point in my life, 1,000 people had never heard me say the same thing at one time. So I'm feeling very comfortable. But Lord, if it's not too much trouble, I'm going to lay out a third fleece, Lord. If you'll let them pre-order a thousand books when I go speak, because see, speakers love, they pre-order books. You don't have to be good then. They didn't got your book. Then, Lord, I'll know it's you, and I'll run for state senate. This is the truth. I hate to admit it. I'm sorry. This is exactly what happened. So I'm, I'm not running for state senate. I know God I'm running for state senate. I got these books to sell. It'll hurt my career, you know? How arrogant, right? How arrogant. I'm just tooling around the next couple of days, and somebody calls and said, Chad, we got a hold of your book. 
You're right, Christians got to be involved. We want you to come speak in Memphis, Tennessee. Can you, you and Michelle bring the boys? We'll give you a nice honorarium. And we got about 1,200 people coming. It's a little ways because that's just second week of January. But as soon as you can, can you ship us 1,000 books ahead of time? Well, yeah, I'd be happy to ship you. A th- I got, I got 25,000. I, I can get you 1,000. I'll ship you 1,000 books. What are you doing? This ain't happening. Week goes by. This guy calls. You don't believe this, Chad. I said, what, Roland? I've spoken for Roland before. He said, didn't you give Michelle her ring at the Chattanooga Choo Choo down in Chattanooga on that carriage ride? I've heard you tell a story. Yeah, sure. He said, I got a, a function coming up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I got about 1,500 people coming. And um, it's that second week of December. You know, my speaker canceled me. Can you fill in? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can fill in. He said, by the way, I know you got time. It's Thanksgiving coming up. But can you go ahead and ship me 1,200 books ahead of time so I'll have them on hand? Lord, pull this leg, it plays jingle bells. This is not the plan. I mean, this, this is not happening. You know, we're not doing this. What are, you, what are you doing? I'm in Philadelphia the next week. It's Tuesday night before Thanksgiving. You can't make this up. It's Tuesday night before Thanksgiving. Michelle and the boys stayed at home. And I'm there. I'm, you know, y'all ever travel and you just get, you're tired, you're weary, you're just, you're just, ready to be home, right? And it's spitting snow. And I had spoken at Valley Forge Convention Center, which is awesome. The people were great. I signed books for a long time. They were wonderful to me. And by the way, if you've never been to Valley Forge, you need to go to Valley Forge. It'll hit your heart about what those patriots did in the Continental Army so you and I could sit here on June 27th and enjoy this thing called freedom and worship the way we please. They had a lot to do with it. But I'm there, I'm speaking. I've got a hotel room for the night, but tonight, tonight, the next day's Wednesday. I got about a 10-hour drive home. I'm like, I go to Dunkin' Donuts. I eat a, a bagel and cream cheese or whatever with people and have a cup of coffee, and I think, I'm going to the house. So it's 10 o'clock at night. I figure I'll be in my bed by 10 a.m., you know. I go back, I get my stuff, check out of the hotel. I head out on the Pennsylvania Turnpike going west. I'm going to hit 80, Interstate 81. I'm going back to South Carolina. Because I don't want to get stuck in Philadelphia on Thanksgiving. It's spitting snow, right? My cell phone rings. And this is before, and some of y'all young people don't know this, they didn't used to fit in your pocket. Y'all remember that? Remember how you had to take it someplace, they tore half your car apart to roll it in, you know, had to, remember that? It was crazy. Your car's gone a day, and they got to run the wires. Well, mine is in my Jeep Cherokee sitting right here, and nobody called you. I mean, it wasn't, you had to get charged by the minutes. Remember how it was awful? And so... My cell phone rings. It's like midnight. I'm heading out. It's spitting snow, and I'm half asleep. The last time my phone rang at midnight, it was Michelle, and, and ben, Bennett had run into the door, and CJ slammed it and knocked out his baby tooth. I just got done paying for the braces for that from 20, 15 years ago. So anyway, my cell phone rings. It's like midnight. I answer, hello. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I've, I thought I'd be leaving a message. We can talk after Thanksgiving. I said, no, man. I got another eight hours to drive. Talk on. You'll keep me awake. <laughs> He said, uh, you know, we got a business organization in Toledo, Ohio. Sure enough. He said, we got a hold of your book. You're so right. Christians got to be involved in everything. They got to stop being silent. We want you to come speak. We got about 5,000 people coming to Toledo. And I know it's Thanksgiving. You can do this later. It's not a big deal. But we would love for you to go ahead and ship us 2,500 books ahead of time so you don't have to bring them with you. I'm about to fall out of the car. I said, when is your meeting? When do you want me? He said, that last Saturday of January, I had to pull the car over. I was crying so hard. I called my dad. We're running for Senate. <laughs> I called my wife. Woke her up. We're running for state Senate. And we did. We ran for state Senate. And I'd love to tell you I lost. I won, but I lost, which is horrible. And that's why people hate it, because that's why they hate politics, because everybody you know, they come up and say, you were the best one. We voted for you. We voted for you. We voted. You were the best one. We voted for you. We loved you. We voted for you. We voted. Even my Sunday school class told me they voted for me. You know what I found out? I know a lot of liars. And um, <laughs> the girl, I can tell this story. I'm not in South Carolina. My best friend growing up is named Francel. And uh, this ain't going streaming that way. So me and Francelle, my mom and her mom were best buddies. So there are pictures of me and Francelle bathing in my mama's kitchen sink at six weeks old. Francelle, here's what Francelle tell me. Me and Russell voted for you. We did. We love you. We, you're the best one. I, I shouldn't have done it. I looked up the vote tally. And at her precinct, I lost by seven votes. Seven to zero. <laughs> so my best friend... 
what I bathed with at six weeks old lied to me about who she voted with. I didn't even win the state senate race. Here's what I learned. God wasn't looking for winning. He was looking for obedience. I believe everything I've been able to do, I've been in meetings in the White House and and with everybody you ever heard of in politics. I'm from a town of 400 people. I believe it goes back to that day of obedience of running for state senate because God called me to do it. It elevated me. I didn't speak less. I spoke more. We sold 60,000 books. We didn't do it through any outlets. It didn't hurt my speaking. It actually elevated. I got to go all kind of places, but I got the bug to be involved. God let me see it at that level to go back and be involved. In 05, we had a little bit of a setback that became really bad in 06. Um, Michelle's mom died the day that Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. Remember that? In September of 05, her mom had a knee surgery and just, it was a weird deal, a blood clot, you know, y'all have heard this, and she passed away. It spun my wife of 18 and a half years into a deep depression. Um, y'all may know people who've been through this, just, it's unrelatable. You know, it's not logical, uh, it's just bad. Now, Christmas time, when her dad kind of came out of that numbness, she got better. She was fine. We were building our house. We had waited 18 years of marriage to build our house. Uh, you know, the Bible says, do the work in the field, right? And, and then build your house. And that's what we were, that's what we were doing. And uh, in May, my grandmother died. And that night, we went to pray over grandmama. And I remember Michelle getting that thousand-yard stare like she looked straight through you. And I thought, uh-oh. And her dad had come to our house and criticized something. Y'all ever met people who are just critical, critical, critical? They just, everything's a complaint. Complain about everything. That was her mom and dad. Michelle graduated with a 396 in Clemson. She graduated, what's that top one? Summa cum laude. I graduated laude, how come? You know, you know, <laughs> my motto was D for diploma, let's get out of here kind of thing. And, you know, I remember one time she came to me, I was shooting baskets in, in the little area there, and she said, I failed my test. I failed my test. I said, you failed a test? You made a 14? No, that's, that was my book. That was an F. She said, uh, I made a 78. I said, 78. Whoa, my dad would be so fired up. That's great. That's almost a B. It's almost a B. And so that, we had this big difference, right? But her parents were perfectionists. This wasn't good enough. Your hair's not right. Your makeup's not right. Criticize, 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 criticize. And it just spun her out when her mom died. She never grieved her mom. They had a love-hate relationship, and she never really grieved her mom. And um, just spun her out. When her dad criticized something about the house, it just put her in a place that I, I, I didn't hardly recognize her. Um, on July 30th of 2006, the boys and I prayed over her. We left that morning for church, and she was as stiff as this board right here. And we put our hands on, on her and just said, Lord, Lord just, we just want to pray for mom." Just pray you release her from this awful thing. Please release her from this depression. I went to church, taught my Sunday school class like always. and I thought, you know, between church and preaching, I thought, may I ought to go home. Nope, boys need to see me sitting in the service, and they know she's not great. But two weeks ago we did this, and she was cooking lunch. She gets better as the day goes on. And so that day we walk in, it's hot, it's hot. It's really hot. And we usually keep music hymns playing in the background. That's kind of how we do it. And uh, but the house was really still. And I walk in, and the boys were on my heels. They're five and nine. And I, I saw what I thought was a doll. It was her hair. And uh, she had put a gun in her mouth in her life. And then um, those seconds where it seems like a year, I'm pushing them away. I'm trying to clear. She was gone. Uh, the devil said, you failed. Uh, I'm holding her. I'm cradling her. I'm becoming messy. The week before, I'd spoken at Chick-fil-A in Atlanta. And I'd said something I'd never said. And that was the reference. I took the boys with me. They're sitting right over here. The whole corporate headquarters at Chick-fil-A is there. And I said, you know, I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I've even failed at business. I'm not going to be a failure before God with my wife and my boys. And I looked right at them. I remember thinking, Lord, that was good. I'm going to use that again because the best stuff you ever say comes out of the Holy Spirit, not from you anyway. And um, on that Sunday morning when I'm cradling her, he said, in my heart, you failed. And I immediately felt the Lord tell me this wasn't my plan, but I have a plan for Satan's disruption. And Romans 8.28 punched me in the face. I'm, 
I wasn't reading it. I wasn't studying it. But I'd spent my life burying it in my heart. And just hide it in my heart. And I said, Lord, <coughs> all things, really all things, all things work together for good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. He said, did you believe it yesterday? I did, Lord. I'm asking you to trust me now. And I told him I would. Now, I was a mess. I, I was a mess. Called my mom and dad, please come get the boys. She did it. I called her dad in Augusta. Michelle's gone. He had lost a wife and 10 months later lose the daughter. They take me to the hospital to kind of calm down. The boys go home with mom and dad. I'm, I'm covered. I had a really hard time, a really hard time. I, I knew she was bad. I'd never think she'd do that. I fainted in the casket room. We were picking out a casket because Bennett, who was five and a half, said, Mommy liked this one with angels on it. And a buddy of mine is a pastor in Texas. Caught me before I hit the casket behind me. We were in a display room. where you, That's where you got to go to pick out a casket. Picking out a tombstone was something I'd, I'd never, <laughs> the thought had never crossed my mind. And God dealt with me on pride. Men, we got too much pride. I got this. I can handle this. Really one of the first things in my life I had to say, I can't handle this. I cannot handle this. I think God wants us at the foot of the cross going, I need you, Lord. And I needed it. And you know, he was faithful. I, I had a hard time, but I promised him. Those first three or four months, it was just a blur. I sobbed more than anything else. I, I couldn't work. She was my, my dream. All my goals were wrapped up in Michelle. She believed in me. Y'all know what it does when a guy finds a wife that believes in him and is his cheerleader and his encouragement and support. It's, it's God's design. It's, it's God's design. I, my little boys saw something nobody should ever see. Their mom like that. It's not, it's not a cool thing. It's my everyday prayer right now. Only thing I went back to, I spoke at one Christian school convention. I probably shouldn't have, uh, but I go back to my pro-family board meeting about in November. So this is four, five months in, I guess, and I'm um, four months in, and these are my buddies. We had fought the gambling crowd and the, you know, the bad places crowd, and we had fought all these things in the legislature, and I trusted them. As soon as I walk in that day, one of my buddies from Greenville, South Carolina, named J.D. Martin, he comes right up. Man, I know you're not ready when you are. You've you got to meet this girl. I'm like, J.D., you better get out of my face. I love you, but I'm, I ain't, I'm not ready to meet nobody. I'm, I'm having a hard time, J.D. All right, all right, all right. I go back the week before Christmas to approve the budget kind of thing, and here comes J.D. Man, you got to meet this girl. Uh, J.D., look, buddy, I'm not well. <laughs> I'm not doing good. I'm, I'm, I'm barely functioning. <laughs> There's green stuff growing in my refrigerator and in my sink. Sometimes the clothes go from the washer to the dryer. I'm having a hard time. He said, Chad, you're Mr. Positive. I've watched you talk and speak for years. This ain't going to beat you. He said, you know that talk you do about counting your blessings? Yes, sir. Go read your notes. He pierced my soul. Go read your notes. That evening I wrote down 103 blessings that the boys and I had. The Lord gave me three very specific prayers. I wasn't going to go looking for somebody. He said, you have to run me into her. I didn't want a guy in the picture. I never prayed for a widow, but that's what I was praying for. I didn't want to trade kids on the weekends kind of thing. I just didn't want to know where the loyalties were. I had built my marriage 18 and a half years on just unconditional loyalty and love. Michelle and I were just best friends. We were best friends way before we had fallen in love. We were just buddies, you know, and I totally trusted her. I couldn't imagine doing that with somebody else. And the third prayer was, I, very specifically, Lord... If you'll send me somebody who will honor Michelle's memory and not be threatened by it, okay. That was my three prayers. I took my ring off for the first time it bit off my hand in 18 and a half years. I put it in the safe with, the, with her rings where the boys, there's your stuff. I'll go to the next meeting in January. As soon as I get there, here comes J.D. You got to meet this girl. Oh, give it a rest, man. I mean, come on. I said, all right. He said, you're boring. You ought to get out of the house. We'll go on a double date. Make it easy. She goes to my church. I said, what's her name? He said, Dana. I said, how'd she become single? He said, the same way you did. Her husband took his life almost two years to the day before my wife. I had this blind date. It went great. Long, long story short, six months later, we were married. Uh, next week will be 14 years ago. The kids are 24, almost 22, 20 and 19. We live a blessed life. I got to watch God work in my life. We walk by faith, not by sight. I got to watch God work. 
I cried out to God, and I know I don't ever want to minimize people's stuff. I cried out to God as much as anybody I know. I sobbed. Oh, God, I can't do this. The boys needed a mom. I needed a mate. Her, her girls needed a daddy. I'm daddy. Their dad died when they were two and five. My boys were five and nine. They remember Michelle far more than the girls remember Barry. I'm dad. So we live a blessed life. You know what? That got me back in politics. There was Dana believing me again. In 2011, I ran for state party chairman in South Carolina. I get to be the uh, state party chairman in one of the states that's get a big old bright spotlight. So I did every political show on television. I did everything on the left, everything on the right. I did everything. And so on one of those shows, a guy named Reince Priebus saw me speak where I was criticizing the party for leaving out the faith vote. The same thing I'd done for 20 years is Christians, go vote biblical values. Just vote. It's not political. It's spiritual. This is our obligation to be salt and light. Let's, let's go participate. No wonder we've lost Hollyweird and academia and, and the colleges because we're not there. We haven't fought the fight. We have not stood and been salt and light in a place that needs salt and light. It's been my life's burden. And so here Dana believes in me. I run. I, I become state party chairman. I think I did 57 national interviews. You want to go have some fun? Watch, go Google, all, YouTube, all those interviews. I mean, I did everything on the left, everything on the right. And by the way, not all the media is liberal and hates you. It's only like 96% of them. They, they do. They hate you. They hate Christians. There's no doubt about it. They whispered curse words in my earbud right before you interview. I mean, immediately. And you realize they don't like me when I believe in. But that, that time when Wright saw me, he texted me. He said, I'm a believer too. I'd like to meet with you. After the election, I'd said that I thought Obama's Department of Justice was the worst train wreck of a disaster and the biggest threat to religious freedom. And I'm, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I was right. For the first time in history, your tax dollars were used to sue the little sisters of the poor, the cake bakers, wedding planners, photographers. Your tax dollars were used to do this, to force Christians to do things they didn't agree with. And so I got involved. Wright calls me. He says, hey, we need to re do a faith outreach. I turned him down. So I thought he wanted me to live in D.C. I said, man, I ain't living in D.C. When I get to a big city, my dream is to get out. I'm, I'm a small-town boy. And by the way, the job's out there with Christians. I'm not going to promote a party. I'm not going to promote a candidate. I'm going to promote biblical voting. And by the way, you'll come out okay if that happens. So I started in July 1st of 2013, and uh, I become the first ever National Director of Faith Engagement. I went to 43 states, spoke to 85,000 pastors. Same message I've been given for this whole, now almost 30 years. Christians, go do your part and get involved in this process. We're going to start a PowerPoint that I'll tie this in. Corbin, if you're ready to throw that up there. How do we be salt and light? Now, I just talked about this, but Matthew 5 makes it clear. You are the salt of the earth. <laughs> and it says, it goes on to say, if you are not salt of the earth, you are no good and only to be trodden under the feet of men. I do not want to stand before the Father and be told I was good for nothing. Do you? Next slide, please, sir. We got to return by doing our part, and that is enforcing and putting forth a biblical worldview. Go ahead, please, sir. Well, this thing's technology. Here's the truth of the matter. There's about 82 million people sitting in churches on a typical Sunday. Pre-Wuhan, I think it'll be back. You know what? I think it'll be back more. I think people are looking for truth right now more than ever before. The media's working so hard to lie to you and to divide us as a people and to tear apart our nation that we must be doing better than we think because we're not aware of it. You've got to look for truth. When you get a pastor leader like a Josiah Kagan who tells the truth, man, we need to praise them, thank God for them, encourage them and support them in every way because we don't need wishbone in this nation. We need backbone and he's got one. Only 32 million of those 50 or those 82 million go and vote. Somewhere between everybody's assessment, somewhere between 40 and 50 million people who sit in church don't bother to vote. You want to know why we got abortion on demand? You don't know why we got confusion among what, who gets to go to what bathroom? You know, in Charlotte, North Carolina, a few years ago, they elected a lady. She ran as a moderate. I don't want to do anything. Now, Charlotte's like any big city. They got all kind of problems. They got all kind of problems. First meeting, you know what she brought up? She brought up bathroom freedom. I remember thinking, bathroom freedom? I was a kid last time you had to put a dime in the toilet. You know, it's all free. <laughs> Some of y'all remember that? And we crawled underneath anyway. But come on. Right? Bathroom freedom. Well, it passed, and she wasn't talking about the dime at the toilet at Belks. She's talking about if you felt like a girl today, and you were really a boy, you can go to whatever bathroom you want to. And by the way, mama or grandmama, 
If you fight it, you get fined. Past the second reading, Christians didn't show up. Third reading, 1,500 Christians stood up, went to the city council meeting. They started at 7, or 7 p.m. They tried to wait them out. At quarter to three, not a person left, much to their credit. It still passed. Bathroom freedom has swept the nation, right? Now we have no more freedom in girls' sports because now the natural conclusion is it, it proceeds, right? If boys feel like they can be a weightlifter, there's a transgender guy lifting weights, a girl in the Olympics. Have we lost our minds? We've lost our ever-loving minds. But here's the thing I want you to remember. All that started with the Charlotte push, and here's the number I want you to remember. 6% of eligible voters voted for mayor. One or two churches saying, hey, this vote matters. <laughs> Y'all might want to go vote. Would have made a difference. Only 30 couple million, 40 to 50 million. Next slide, please, sir. We're not doing our part, y'all. We're not being salt and light. Not about party, it's about principles. There's two things politicians pay attention to, money and votes. Guess what? Christians don't give a lot of money. The only thing we have is leverage, votes. We, uh, Russell Kirk, the famous conservative historian, philosopher said, politicians are just like anybody else. They're actors on the stage playing to an audience. We've taken ourselves out of the audience, y'all. But here's what I know about Christians, is we scare the left, we scare the media, we even scare the right, because we base what we believe on truth. We're not gonna get perfect. I already told you, no perfection, right? I've told this, uh, I love this joke I heard years ago, it, it's, there's no perfect party because there's no perfect people. Therefore, there are no perfect churches. I, there, there's like the guy who says, I ain't going to Kagan's church down there, there's a bunch of hypocrites down there. Here's your answer, come on down, one more won't matter. It's no big deal. We're, this all, we're, my church was perfect until I got there. Come on down. We're all imperfect human beings. We scare the left in the media and we go out and vote in our numbers. Next slide, please, sir. It's about truth, y'all. We hold these truths to be self-evident. You know, you ought to read the Declaration of Independence to your kids next Sunday afternoon. You ought to have, take your copy and read the Declaration of Independence to your kids because here's what set America apart. America said rights come from God, not from the state. That was the difference. First time in all of history. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Remember that? Pilate asked Jesus 2,000 years ago, what is truth? Because he didn't know what truth was. Let me tell you what the truth is. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. Amen. That's just the truth. That is the truth. Truth doesn't change. I know people tell you, well, that's your truth, but not my truth. No, 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 no. Truth doesn't change. Think about this. Josiah and I can come in here and I can say this is an 80-foot wide room. He can say it's a 90-foot wide room. Until we pull a tape measure, we don't know the truth. Now we have a standard. Y'all know this too. Somebody can go to the local college and they can, they can pray in the name of goat's breath or eagle's feathers or mother earth. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. You pray in the name of Jesus. Oh, my goodness. They lose their cookies. They go crazy. You can't pray. That may offend somebody. You can't pray in the name of Jesus. That guy prayed in eagle's feathers' names for goodness sakes. You know why? Because truth reveals error. Truth always exposes error. I don't have to be right. You have to be right. We got a tape measure that is the truth. We know the truth because it is a standard by which we judge things. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created. I know the founders didn't have this right. Slavery was awful. Can you show me a place that corrected it like America? No. You know how many people are held in slavery in the world today? Right now that none of these people want to deal with. Somewhere between 40 and 48 million people in the world today are held as slaves, and these people want to hold you accountable for something that happened 150, 200 years ago and hold you responsible for something you didn't have nothing to do with. Hello? We're crazy to let this stuff happen. America set this apart. They've got to settle on it and make it some kind of sin that you can't ever get. Forget about repentance. Forget about uh, forgiveness. They won't accept that. America set this aside. No, the founders weren't perfect. Of course they weren't perfect. We knew that already. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator. The creation can never be greater than the creator. God set this nation apart. I love to tell, you know, atheists, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I, 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 don't, I can't believe that two bugs bumped together in a mud puddle and out came me and you. But I can't believe a, a, a designer God created me in his image and you and I in his image with a plan and a purpose. 
that certain, they're endowed with certain unalienable rights. That's Jefferson's way of saying anybody can understand this. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When you, somebody, I've had liberal reporters say, why, why do you care so much about life? Well, look here, sister, it's in our nation's birth certificate. That's why. I told you I've never voted for a pro-death candidate. If anybody will take the life of an unborn, pre-born baby, I'm, I can't support that. I never have. I don't care what party they're from, what, nothing. If they won't protect life in the womb, they will not care about your liberties. Somebody that doesn't care about life in the womb won't care about whether or not your church is open and where your church is essential or whether or not you wear a mask somewhere, how far apart you are. I spoke for a buddy of ours, I think you probably know Nick Reed, out in California. I went to California. I was here in August. I guess I went out there in September. And since from last year, July to December, I did 89 in-person meetings in 15 states with exactly 2,965 pastors. Because I was curious. I knew we have to kick some doors down. I've been on today. Yesterday's flight was my 90th flight since last July. Here I stand. And here's what it really turned me for this whole deal about pursuit of happiness and about liberty. So I go speak in Nick Reed's church. Young guy, I think Nick's 31 years old, pastors in Burbank, California, which is right there beside Hollywood. So one of the pastors, a guy named Peter Moore, y'all know Paul Chapel, uh, it's his son-in-law. So Peter drives me into L.A. I don't mean lower Alabama, I mean Los Angeles. It is like a bomb went off. I've never seen a nastier city. I, I'm, I'm not kidding you, every overpass and underpass has homeless shelters. And the mayor... Instead of trying to clean it up and help them out, he puts a porta potty there. What? What are you thinking, man? I've never seen a more dystopian city. We go to Nick Reed's church. Nick Reed's got 200 people coming to church. He has 51 parking places. He can't meet inside because the Wuhan's very bad inside churches in California. Now, the, the, the governor went to a private dinner and he didn't wear a mask and what distance and the dinner was closed, but that was okay. Elites always feel that way, right? Rules for thee, not for me. I'm in Nick Street's little church. 200 people, 51 parking places. He can't meet in the parking lot. He's going to meet in the, in the, parking, the park out there. He's going to meet in the park. And, but the mayor comes in in Burbank. It's very dangerous singing Christian hymns in a park. Very, very dangerous. You're kidding me, right? Now, he went out and marched in protest. That was all fine. Where they're yelling and screaming and spitting on each other and burning things. That was, that was fine. I love Nick Reed's heart. His church is not like a Kettering, Ohio. He's ministering to the least of these. Street people, prostitutes, drug addicts. That's his church content. So Nick's so intent on spreading the gospel that he brings, he does church like 12 to 15 times a week. And he brings in whatever amount the bureaucrats will allow. And literally when I got there for our, our meeting, the bureaucrat had just been there measuring how far apart the people were. I walk, I'm a contrarian, I'm a hardhead. I walk to the street. No, no more than this stage from his door to the street, which is Hollyweird Boulevard. I mean, we're right, we're there. We're, this is where the stars are. I look down there, I don't know, 200 yards. I see 40 to 50 homeless shelters at least. No masks, no distance, pretty unhealthy. No bureaucrat measuring how far apart they are. And at Nick Reed's church, says, when I came back to this line, certain unalienable rights, among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If a, somebody doesn't care about life, they won't care about your liberty either. Secure these rights. Governments are instituted among men. That's why America's special. Next slide, please. Because we said truths. First Amendment says something everybody will understand. Congress shall make no law. Notice this. This doesn't say that a, a high school principal can have separated church and state. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say that a mad atheist who comes by a Ten Commandments monument. I've spoken at those rallies. They can't, they, that doesn't say that. It doesn't say that a concerned city council person can tell you not to pray in the name of Jesus. It does not say that. It says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Congress. This whole separation of church and state was never intended to keep the church out of the state. It was always intended to keep the government from setting up a, a government-run uh, government church. Always. And it doesn't take much honest reading. The problem is we got a lot of dishonest people reading and interpreting. The real problem is they're passing that on to your children and your grandchildren as truth. And it's not truth. Like I said, we need backbones, not wishbones. 
Congress shall make no law. You ought to pass this along. Next slide. Make sure everybody knows it. Read it on uh, Independence Day next week. You've got to understand this. You've got to understand history to know what's been going on and what's happening in America today. The European model was different than the American model. I don't know how these slides came out because they, they come out like this and we, took, we put it on this keynote. Um, but the, the European model was there's a God who gives power to the government with the king and the queen and the monarchy who gives power to the people. What America's founders said was, no, 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 there's a God who gives power to the people. We, the people in the Constitution, who then give power to government. Next slide, please. And there is a new left out there that there's no God. The state is all-powerful, who give power to people based on what they want to do. We've watched this for the past year. It's arbitrary. Do you know when the whole pandemic first happened, there was a health department bureaucrat, you couldn't have found the person's face on a website, who said, no Christian schools shall meet till January 1st. That was last April. What? What do you mean can't meet till January 1st? Just arbitrarily said Christian schools can't meet. It was punitive and penalties against us. I was with a pastor buddy at National Religious Broadcasters in Dallas last week, a guy named Brian Gibson in Kentucky. He formed a group called Peaceably Gather. It's on his website, Peaceably Gather. We're going to gather in church because church is essential. We're responsible for our people. We'll take care of them. My buddy Rob McCoy out in Thousand Oaks, California, he defied the governor, went before them. They threatened to throw him in jail, and he knew they couldn't throw him in jail. They kept writing uh, all these citations. He opened up in May last year, only about 10 months before the rest of the state did, and Rob told me they formed their own little community. These are Christian businesses. They've had no outbreaks. Nothing like that happened. And it's been a whole year. But here's the thing that happened. He had 400 people coming to church when he defied the governor. They sent more bureaucrats there to write tickets the next Sunday because he was the mayor of Thousand Oaks. He stepped down in defiance of the government and said, we're going to do what God wants us to do and be obedient to him, not to the state, because he understood this. They had more bureaucrats there. He had 1,500 people who showed up to accept the citations who didn't go to his church. You know what Rob told me when I was with him two weeks ago in Naples, Florida? He said, Chad, we baptized more people this past year than we had as, a, as members the year before. America needs backbones, not wishbones. We need people who stand up to truth. And that's what our founders did. This new left, there's no God. The state's all powerful. You know, I draw this out for my Sunday school class all the time. The throne in our lives is God and God alone. When we take God off the throne and put self there, evil people will always ascend to a throne to be in charge. And government takes that. Francis Schaeffer said in his 1971 book, How Now Shall We Live? He said the biggest threat in the next generation to Christendom in America is statism. When we look to the state to solve our problems, don't look to the state to solve your problems. Don't look to the state to make you safe. That's not the way it is. Next slide, please, sir. If you don't understand that history, though, it's very difficult to peel that out. These people, nine unelected but appointed people, get to decide the direction of the country. Next slide, please. It is very dangerous. It shows you why elections always matter. I pulled some examples. I could do 100 of these. That cake shop's up on the upper left. I went in that cake shop, Jack, Jack Phillips Cake Shop in Lakewood, Colorado. A few years ago, he just got sued again. Went all the way to the Supreme Court, and he won. So here's this guy, he's an unassuming, just a really nice guy. And when you walk in his cake shop, which by the way is not in a nice part, it's, it's in an old rundown strip shopping center in Lakewood, Colorado. I went there to buy stuff from him and have it shipped home for me because I was going to support that guy. When you walk in, there's a podium, looks a lot like a pulpit, and there's a Bible open to John 3.16 right there. When you go to the restrooms, everywhere you look, there's scripture. So these two happy guys come in. He had cooked things. He had made stuff for them. They said, make cakes for our ceremony. Jack said, as a Christian, I, I cannot make this for something I disagree with. I, I recommend, he recommended 20 different bakers in the area who would do the cakes for their wedding ceremony, and he refused. No, 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 that wasn't good enough. He sued them. He used the power of the state of Colorado, run by a bunch of liberals, who then sued him, always Supreme Court, before he won. The little sisters of the poor is up on the upper right. Little sisters of the poor, you know what little sisters of the poor do? They feed the poor. They're good at it. Do you know how much, if you give money to the little sisters of the poor, how much money that you give goes to the feed the poor? It's 100%. 100% of your donations to the little sisters of the poor. But 
Eric Holder's Department of Justice in the previous administration before President Trump sued the little sisters of the poor. By the way, they're nuns. Y'all with me here? Because they would not accept the Affordable Care Act that forced them to provide abortifacients to their, their nuns. They're nuns. <laughs> Hang in there. I know I'm going too fast. They're nuns. <laughs> they don't need to... Went always Supreme Court. Here's why the government was jealous. Your dollars that go to feed the poor through the welfare department in, in America, what percentage of those dollars actually feed the poor? Anybody know? This study's done every year. It's 28 cents. If you really want to help the poor and feed the poor, you would pay less tax than give it to little sisters of the poor and organizations like that to actually feed the poor. Hobby Lobby got sued, same reason. Then that last sign, that's an all-gender bathroom. I, I was in D.C. visiting a, during when the Trump administration happened, they put a bunch of Christians in place and Ashley Bell, good friend of mine in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, he had helped me, I'd helped him. Ashley was running the Peace Corps. So I was leaving there, I had my bag, I'd go to the airport, got to rush over to the airport, and, and I, um, I said, actually, I need to hit the restroom. He said, you don't want to go to the bathroom here? I said, I'm 50, I, I do, I want to go to the bathroom. I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> he said, all right, and he took me, your tax dollars printed that. All people welcome in this bathroom. Your tax dollars at work. In the middle is this Equality Act that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are pushing. If it passes, if Joe Manchin caves on this filibuster, we will be doing illegal church when we preach certain scriptures. Elections matter, y'all. And if people there, Jesus ain't running, never going to get perfect. But if you let people in office that push this kind of stuff, then you're going to get what you bought. You're going to get it. We'll be doing illegal church if that happens. Floors, wedding planners, first time ever. Free speech meant approved speech, and guess what? We on the throne get to decide what's free. Next slide, please. The Equality Act, and uh, y'all know this from Isaiah 520, actually, I gotta change that. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. If Christians do not personally engage in politics, it's all over. If we fail to engage the public square, and listen, it's not because God needs America, He don't need America, He don't need you. The problem is we've been given stewardship over this place called America that's free. You know that 85 cents every missionary dollar comes from here? 4% of the world's population. 85 cents every missionary dollar to spread the gospel comes from America. That's pretty special. Next slide, please. Time to engage, Christians. Do not sit on the sidelines. There's a book you ought to read, but you'll want to throw it. I read it on an airplane. want to throw it down the aisle. There's a guy named Rules for Radicals, Saul Alinsky. Alinsky was a mentor to people like Clinton, Obama, Biden, uh, but Bernie Sanders, they read his work. This guy disrupted Chicago like never before in the 60s and wrote a book about it. Here's what he said. This is the foreword of his book. Lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical from all our legends, mythology, and history. And who's to know where mythology leaves off and history begins or which is which? The very first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. That's who they're following when the foreword's written by a guy who acknowledges Satan himself. That's what's pushing politics in America today. Next slide. Here's what Alinsky said. Pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, polarize it. That's what they're doing to you as Christians. That's why they're dividing you by man, woman, by race, by every other thing they can think of. Is They've got to divide us up into special interest groups. Next slide, please. That's not how God has it. Communism, the goals of the left, abolishes eternal truths, abolishes all religion, all morality, and ab abolition of the family. When you find things that are against the nuclear family as God designed, God created three institutions, the family, the church, and the state. Our buddy Billy Ingram, Pastor Billy Ingram, saw us speak and do this talk down in, uh, outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Billy came up to me afterwards and he said, man, I'm sorry. I said, what do you mean? He said, I've been a two-thirds pastor. God created the family, the church, and the state. I've been focused on two. I'm going to become a three-thirds pastor. And you know that Billy took 38 people to the local party meetings. They took over two county parties in Georgia that were doing all this vote cheating stuff. A church, an independent Baptist church in Covington, Georgia, now runs two county party meetings that's in charge of all this recount stuff in the state of Georgia. That's pretty cool. Christians ought to be a part of everything. My God's big enough to be in everything, all the time, everywhere. It's up to me to find out what a biblical worldview is. This may shake your world. 
This may mess you up completely. This may go against everything you've been taught. But if you're reading the Word of God, you're going to find out this is exactly in line with what he says. Next slide, please. The problem with us, like I said early on, is we don't understand. This all comes down to one question. There's only one question. Every debate, every argument, you can go to the water cooler, go to the Keurig tomorrow at work. And it all comes down to one question, who says? There's only two answers. Man says, or God says. If man says, then he's the standard. Man's the tape measure. Well, I think we ought to have, how many genders was it, Josiah? 102 genders on something, some meaningless social media thing. No, 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 God says there's two. Male and female, he created them. That clears that one up. Life begins at conception. He knew us in our mother's womb. We're fearfully and wonderful made. Knit together in our mother's womb. That's, that's life begins at conception. You know there are two states that actually voted and cheered about it. Virginia and New York cheered about letting a baby be delivered. If the parents didn't want it, it wasn't perfect, they could kill it then. That, Y'all, that's, <laughs> that's evil. If you believe man decides, then man's good. His environment's responsible. It's the gun's fault. They don't want to talk about sin in the heart. They don't want to talk about responsibility and accountability. It's the guns. We got to get rid of the guns. I got guns. I won't tell you how many. Ain't none of your business. But I got guns, and I've done this practice. I'll lay them there, and I'll walk away, and I'll go, ready, aim, fire. They just lay there. They're very disobedient. <laughs> I find they only actually work when I go pull them, and they always believe in group rights. If God's a standard, man needs a savior. On an airplane, my favorite conversation is we get into it. We talk about what he do. I talk to pastors. And, um, you know, we get in and find the conversation. Hey, look, if you die today, you going to heaven? Most of them will go, yeah, yeah. Why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, I've been pretty good. How, how do you judge pretty good? On a scale of zero to 100, where would you put yourself? And they all do this. They'll all say about average, C. 70 or 75. Not perfect, but pretty good. I said, what if I told you it takes 100? Well, that's not fair. That ain't fair. Well, it takes 100. And the only way you get there is a Savior named Jesus. Individuals responsible for his actions. All this stuff we've seen, all this disruption, all this distraction, it's all about groups. You notice there's about splitting. God's the source for our rights, not man. Next slide, please. And rights come from God is one of the greatest things. Washington's farewell address. You ought to read this to your kids on Independence Day. You ought to read it every year. I've got this on the wall in my house. The very last thing George Washington said in his farewell address, this was in every history book until 1965. You can't find any more. They took it out because they can't stand the truth. Remember, truth reveals error. They can't lie to your kids in schools if they take the truth out and abolish it. Here's what Washington said. Now, he's, been, he's had his tail kicked all up down the East Coast. They hadn't won nothing hardly. He's at Valley Forge. He hits his knees. He prays. There's a turnaround in the war. I told you the story of Trenton earlier. I don't have time right now. But Washington's farewell address when they tried to make him a king, and he refused. Here's what he said. Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity. In today's word, that would mean of everything that matters for a nation's success. He said religion and morality are indispensable supports. You know, we got officials who actually bowed to movements. You bow before no person save your God, ever. You don't ever do that. But we've seen it. We've seen it edified and support. He even says you can't be a patriot if you were to ever subvert religion and morality. That was the last thing the guy said. Next slide, please. He thought that was pretty important that we know about it. We don't teach it. Three things we got to do. We got to have a message. We got to understand the issues. We got to expect the dishonesty from the media. Get informed. My friend Joel Rosenberg is a Christian author, has a thing called All Israel News. It's a Christian-based news and also gives Middle East. There's Christian news services. There's townhall.com. If y'all are watching the Alphabet Soup companies, don't. Don't. They have an agenda. They're, they're, they're not telling you the truth. They're not going to give you a Christian-based worldview. Find Christian sources. And then understand that, what I told you about boats and money. They care about boats and money. Next slide, please. This is a voter guide. We use this in South Carolina. We'll be doing this in a bunch of states. Use voter guides to find out what candidates believe in. Find out what they believe in. 
And don't vote for people that violate the Bible. You say, I'm not going to vote. I, like I said, I'll put in Mickey Mouse. Next slide, please. You certainly can do that. You're an American, too. This is our, our sheet, our one-pager. I don't know if he's got the uh, QR code on here, but I think the, we've got a way to connect with Faith Winds, and that's what we're doing. We're going to be doing a tour this fall, 35 to 40 cities across America, probably what do you think, Brother Kagan? We'll get four to five or six here in Ohio. Um, maybe Columbus, Akron, Toledo, Cincinnati, Cleveland, here. We're going to do a big meeting here. We want you to come. I've got the premier Christian historian in America, a guy named David Barton, coming to speak. The guy's an encyclopedia brain. I'll tell you what, he will charge you up and challenge you like you never thought about. You need to bring your kids. You need to bring your kids' friends. The kids from school, your neighbors, you need, it's free. What, we're going to have a problem putting people in because we know people got to understand why God's role in America is so important. We've got to get back to that. That's the unifying thing. The unifying thing isn't division and fighting and arguing about silly stuff or getting on, you know, being a Facebook warrior or anybody can print anything they want to print. Careful what you let in the gates, the eyes and the ears. Careful what you let in. Let it be challenged what you believe in, but compared to the word of God not what I say not what you think not what the polls or the pundits say what does God's word say about it and help that cut through the clutter next slide please I love uh, ending up with this Charles Finney and I'll tell you a quick story and I'll be done and hush Finney said this 150 years ago I want you to read this carefully now more than ever you think this was yesterday right I mean everything going on now more than ever the people are responsible for the character of their Congress we have people flooding in the southern borders. Inflation in six months. You're paying a dollar more a gallon of gasoline because we shut off the oil pipeline. The Middle East is in a array, a, a mess. Israel's taking bombs from Hamas and we're funding them. We allowed a Russian pipeline, but not an American pipeline. You gotta get a vaccine. You gotta be distant, but not people coming across the border. All that's good to go. Women's sports are gone. In five months, that was an executive order. Now if a boy feels like a girl, he can go run against your daughter who's worked her life, 10, 12, 15 years to qualify for something, but a guy runs and he's physically, biologically different, that is the truth. It may be inconvenient. It, it may be. Uh, look, you can feel like a girl or a boy or whatever, all that, but the fact is the fact. You can feel like a doorknob for all I care. The truth is the truth, and the truth doesn't change. All this going on, put this into Finney's words. Now more than ever before, the people are responsible for the character of Congress. If that body be ignorant, check. Reckless, check. And corrupt, check. It's because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If our next centennial does not find us a great nation, it will be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation do not aid in controlling the political forces. God will bless or curse this nation according to the course Christians take in politics. I'm going to finish up with a story. I just reread a book, and I don't promote a lot of books, but I read a lot. I've read 60-something books this year. I'm on a lot of planes. I read. I don't watch TV. Not into that. Not into movies. So I read. I like having a book in my hand. And I just read a book called How Do You Kill 11 Million People? Did I tell you about the story, Josiah? A friend of mine is a Christian author named Andy Andrews. And he had dinner with a friend of mine and Josiah's named Bob McEwen. They were talking about, how did the, how did the Nazis pull this off? How did they do this? Y'all seen the pictures? There, there's two Nazi guards with a machine gun, and there's all these big old boys in the, 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 in the cattle car, in the train car. Why didn't them boys just take care of business and whip them, right? Right? I mean, would you let your family go get burned alive or gassed? No, no way. We're going to wrestle, right? Why do they let it happen? Well, you got to go back and see the whole history. So 1938 or so, uh, Hitler was building an army, building this massive army the world had never seen, never seen the kind of build up in tanks and armament and soldiers like what he built up. Everybody's worried about it. The prime minister of, of England, a guy named Neville Chamberlain, who was a wishbone, not a backbone, he flies to Berlin he goes to Birch's Garden, actually in the, in the Alps, where Hitler's got his summer home. He's going to get a peace treaty. Because, you know, he'll just sign a peace treaty. He signed it. 
Neville Chamberlain, there's a famous YouTube of him circling his umbrella when he gets off the plane in London. There's peace in our time, peace in our time. But now much later, September 1st, 1939, the tanks rolled in a little country called Poland. Two weeks' time. Ran over the antiquated soldiers, the cannon, the rusty rifles. They took over nation after nation after nation. And then they didn't want to do with all these people. They started attacking the Jews. And at first it was, hey, uh, we need y'all to wear, they probably didn't use y'all, but I use y'all, I'm from South Carolina. We need y'all to wear these little golden stars because we'll be able to identify you and we'll be able to keep you safe. That was the message. The first message. We will keep you safe. We're going to move you to this area over here because there's a war coming and we just need to keep you safe. We, we just, we need to keep you safe. Hey, look, war's not going good. We're going to build a wall to protect you because we need to keep you safe. Hey, dads, uh, war's not going well. The tanks are coming. We're going to have to move you out of here to a safe place. Um, there'll be better schools, a lot of room, and kids can play. Hey, take a good inventory of all your valuables. So when we bring you back here, we make sure you get all your stuff back. Because we're going to take you somewhere to keep you safe. Now, by the way, Dad, listen, if you're, if you're unruly and rebellious, your wives and your children will be. So we need you all to help us just stay calm. Because this, this train ride's awful. It's going to be two or three days. It'll be cramped. It's terrible. But just, just do it to keep your kids safe. So five years ago, I got to go with Governor Mike Huckabee to a place called Auschwitz in Birkenau was not on my dream list. And uh, when you look at it, I don't want to say it's beautiful because you know that what happened. But there's a brick facade. It's appealing. How about that's appealing? And he takes us to this one spot and he makes all of us, I want you to stand right here. And there's a, there's a placard with a description like right here. I want you to stand right here. And then he grabs you by the shoulder and he lets you read it. And you're like, oh, wow. So Dana and I went. There's 50 faith leaders from around the country. And um, this was the spot where the Nazi major stood when he decided who lived or died. You live, you die. You live, you die. That's where he stood. He walked us to the back of the camp where the ovens were. And he said, today you're going to get to do something that somewhere between 3 and 4 million human beings didn't get to do. You're going to walk out of here. Everybody's pretty somber, right? And then he walks us over to a, 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 a pond. It was, it was a pool of water no bigger than this. So there's 50 of us. What's the pool of water for? That's where they dump ashes. That's where they put the ashes. Of all those people. How do you kill 11 million people? You lie to them. You lie to them, and you create fear. You lie to them, and you create fear. We know how to keep you safe. I believe it's a time, church, that God's asking us to rise up with backbone, not wishbone. First thing we got to do is learn about how special this country is. We need to know it's not perfect, but these little ones, you'd rather them come up no place in the world other than this place called America. I've been to nine countries, and every time I get back, I want to kiss the dirt. And it's not because it's better dirt, and it's not because we're better people. It's because God's hand's been on this nation like no place on the planet. And for whatever reason, he lets our little 4% have the most plays, the most symphonies, the most inventions, than any place in the world combined come from this place called America. This is a special place. And one week from today, we get to celebrate a thing called independence. Not because they're perfect, but because freedom is special and this is the beacon of hope for the entire world as USA goes so goes the world and I just want to tell you this is the time when I believe we got to get off our rear ends and we got to decide to do something about what we see you young people y'all God's got a call in your life these really young people we need to make sure they're getting truth y'all need to come see David Barton and read and watch his videos and get his materials and make sure you're teaching your kids that and if somebody in your public school is teaching them some nonsense theory or whatever it is, you need to point out the facts. And so I know Brother Kagan's going to be promoting this. We'll be all over the state of Ohio. I believe God's given us the opportunity to wake us up and say, you know what we need? 
It's not that everybody's got to become a Christian to be in America. But we need a Christian America back where we know that we can rely on the truth of God's word as the thing that points us to what matters all the time. I, I enjoyed being here. I'm honored to come and speak. I'm sorry to go so long. I know Brother Kagan's going to say, you ain't ever come back. You talk too long. But I, I want to tell you my story. Because if God wasn't done with me, I was lower than the whale's belly. I didn't, I didn't think I'd ever stand up in front of people and talk again. He wasn't done with me after my wife's suicide. He's not done with you. He's not done with your family. He's not done with this church. And he's not done with America. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.